0: There are many leadership principles that are universal, and of course, we also use different skills for leading people in different roles. One place that is indeed different is the unique challenges of managing part-time staff. On today's show, the key principles you need, or perhaps to be coaching your team on, when leading part-time employees. This is Coaching for Leaders, Episode 289. Produced by Innovate Learning. Maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader and one of the skill sets that we all need as leaders is the ability to be flexible and not only flexible in our daily activities but also flexible in the kinds of people that we're leading and today looking at that leadership challenge from a lens that we haven't talked about much on the show at least not intentionally which is what's the distinction between leading full-time staff and leading part-time staff? And in particular today, we're going to zero in on how to lead part-time employees. It's an important leadership competency for many of us. And even if that's not an important competency for you in your work, I know that you will uh, find a lot from today's conversation that'll be of real value to you in thinking about how you interact with part-time employees or maybe even uh, contractors or folks that have a different relationship in your organization than do your full-time employees. And I'm really glad to welcome to the show today someone who uh, is actually a listener of Coaching for Leaders, been a part of our community for a while. And I've been fortunate to uh, get to know Chris over the last year and interact with him a bunch. And he really has a great track record and expertise in Managing and leading part-time employees, so I'm really glad to welcome Chris DeFirio to the show today. He is cafe operations manager for Sonergos Coffee in Louisville, Kentucky. He has been in the professional coffee service world for 17 years. He's previously won the Coffee Fest World Latte Art Open three times. He was fourth place uh, in the United States in the Brista Championship for the finalist in 2007. He's also the host and producer of Keys to the Shop, a podcast that helps coffee service professionals to advance their careers by discovering more about barista work, management, leadership, and the operational knowledge to run a coffee shop. Chris man, I'm so glad to have you on the show. Welcome.
1: Oh, thanks so much. I'm super excited to be here.
0: Well, the feeling is mutual because as you and I have been talking over the last year, and we started talking about leadership... And I heard you actually interviewed on another show talking so eloquently about just your philosophy and thinking around leading part-time employees. And I was thinking, wow... That is something we've totally missed on coaching for leaders, and so I'm really glad that we get to focus in and zero in on this topic today. And uh, you know, you've been managing obviously in in your role and in the industry. You're managing a lot of part time people in addition to full time. You've been doing that for a whole lot of years. Uh, and I'm kind of curious, you know, before we get into some of the the tools and the strategies for thinking about this. What are some of the mistakes or maybe a mistake you've made early on when you started managing part-time staff and uh, it's maybe something that a lot of us have, have run into or wouldn't think about managing part-time employees?
1: Well, wow, there's so much to choose from. So yeah, I've been you know doing this for 17 years and I've had plenty of time to make mistakes in, in all of those years right up until today. But early on in my career, I think one of the things that stands out to me the most is when I was really given my first position of authority, which is always a dangerous thing, you know, when, you've, when you're when you new to having the kind of, of power where you can tell people what to do. I was a barista trainer at a place called Gimme Coffee in Ithaca, New York, where I was living at the time. And I was in the habit of going around with my clipboard to different stores that I was responsible for, because I was doing quality control. I would go to the different stores with my clipboard of, you know, little, you know, items, maybe like 20, 30 items that I'm looking to make sure the baristas are doing, but I would show up um, unannounced and during a rush of of customers and just stand off to the side and write on the clipboards. So <laughs> not the most pleasant thing to experience if you're already in the weeds and you've got this this guy like who does he think he is? Not helping the shift (laughs) but in my mind helping uh, because you know I'm holding people to a high standard well what happened is after a while someone finally said what I'm sure everybody was thinking and uh, sent a four-page well-written she was an English tutor yeah Cornell (laughs) well-written scathing review of my tactics my what was basically saying was I was oppressive and it was absolutely true I was being oppressive, and I didn't realize it because I thought that I was doing the right thing, but what I really was doing was was my thing. I was missing the big picture of the team, and it was not caring for the people. Mm. And had I the opportunity to do it again, I obviously would approach it a completely different way. But I kept that letter for a good 10 years in my desk, and I would take it out occasionally and read it just to remind myself that, you know, when you have this kind of authority as a manager or a leader of any kind, there is a, a point at which you can go back to that's all about you and it's all about your agenda. And I really didn't want to go back there. I don't have a letter anymore because you know I feel, I feel like I've basically memorized it, but that was an interesting time and I didn't get perfect at this You know, right when that letter came in, but thankfully I think I've, I've become much more adept at leading people <laughs> over the years
0: yeah and it's it's cool that person had the courage to be able to communicate what it is that was going on, and also at the same time that you were get able to get to a place where you recognized that there was some validity there. I'm guessing that may not have been your first response. Did it take a while to in it to kind of internalize that and to recognize that there were some things you could have been doing differently as a leader
1: oh sure yeah i I think when you're called onto the mat immediately you want to be defensive and give a reason for why you did what you did, yeah. But that's just human nature, I think, to be defensive when somebody says you're wrong. But over, it did take a little bit for me to realize that, you know, what she's saying is not that I should stop training people or stop holding people to a higher standard. We're not talking about the content of what I was doing, we're talking about the method. It hurt my ego, sure, you know, but it made me a better professional because there's only so far you can get with positive feedback. And the older you get, and I think the more years you have in any industry, I think the more you're gonna want to seek out feedback that's maybe negative, or like how can I improve type of feedback. Because people are less likely to share that with you. So I became, I came to view it as a gift, and not as a indictment of my personality, or I shouldn't be in coffee. And I could have easily thought of it that way. I had been fired from my first coffee job when I started in years and years ago. But even that, I was encouraged by a, a restaurant veteran who was a friend of mine that it happens, just kind of let it give you the lesson that it's going to give you and use it for good in the future. And that's what I've done with both of those situations.
0: Well, it's such an awesome lesson. Uh, we're reading the Leadership Challenge right now in the Coaching for Leaders Academy. And the one of our members had pointed out to me that in the book, it says, success isn't the road to success isn't paved with successes. The road to success is, is paved with failures. And that getting comfortable with failure as a leader, much less a human being, is really valuable, doesn't feel good. But if you can take those failures, learn from them, you, you take something away, make something way better with it. And you, what you've just shared is a great example of that.
1: Yeah, Dr. Carol Dweck's book, Mindset, is a book that I think of when I hear you, you talk about learning from failures and and progressing from through failures. We gave out that book mindset to all of our staff here at Centergast. And I'm going to take my family through it when my son's old enough to uh, uh, read. (laughs) So it's a very valuable book because it talks about the idea that failures are simply um, interesting. They're they're not things that should stop us. They're just things that we should be fascinated with. Uh, Like, that's interesting. Why did I do that? How can I do it better in the future? And don't take it personally, because if you do, you'll never learn from it.
0: Well, it's interesting you brought up Dweck's book because when I think about the word mindset in the title of that book, um, a lot of what you're thinking on part-time staff uh, and leading part-time staff is centered around mindset and just how you and your organization have either intentionally or unintentionally really trained your mindset of how you approach things. And and one of the things I'm really curious about is how you approach your mindset for hiring. And I'm curious because this is a constant challenge for those of us who do manage a, a Part-time staff, or a, or a large team of part-time staff, uh, because you are you do need to be hiring more often than you do if you're do if you're only managing full-time staff. What are some of the tactics you found to be helpful in getting the right kind of people on board for a part-time role?
1: Yeah, so one, that's one of the main things that I was really nervous about coming to this company as an operations manager. I was constantly worried that I would negatively somehow without knowing it negatively impact the culture that had been created over the years. My job was to systematize what was organically grown. And, you know, sometimes when you apply a system to something that's just naturally great, you can kill it. (laughs) So hiring, it's the act of bringing people on board to do a task for uh, the reason which your company exists. And for us, it's serving coffee And providing a a space for people to uh, have a a great coffee experience, but also a great hospitality experience. And just the other day, I was asked by one of the customers, a longtime customer, he pointed at all of the staff that was working in the shop at at the moment and said, they're really great. They're really great. Over there, those guys are great. I don't know how you guys get all these great people. Hmm. And I think that is, first of all, the number one compliment that I think we could get. And uh, even on our Yelp reviews, you know, you, we we have people read those, and just so they know that staff and service is the main thing, and that means in hiring, in hiring, we have to focus on matching people up with our core values. We're not so concerned with resumes necessarily; more concerned about how people approach the resume, or uh, how people approach the application, or us in an in interview. So first we have to know, like for us, our non-negotiables, we have to know what those are. I think for anybody, you need to find out what is it that you're not willing to compromise on. So for us, we want naturally pleasant people, you know, friendly people, who are self-motivated, they care for others, they love coffee, and they want to learn. So if you are that person, it doesn't matter if you've worked in coffee for 10 years or no years, we're pretty confident that you know, first, we can train you. Second, you're going to be a good fit for the company. So if we can gather some of that from the resume or the application, we're going to bring you in for an interview and we're going to talk. Now, the interview process is tricky because a lot of people are professionals when it comes to answering questions, cor- you know, quote unquote correctly. Uh, there's lots of videos and, and tutorials on how to ace the interview which is kind of another way of saying like how to fool people into hiring you for in some cases. <laughs> yeah. So I like to try to make it a very low-key event. Really ask good good questions that are just they're not the professional interview questions necessarily. I want to start to get into what they what they love, what they're passionate about and how they've treated people in their lives throughout the past years. Like how do they speak about their past job? How do they speak about that hobby that they really love? Do I do I hear attention to detail? Do I hear empathy from them about their former coworkers, or do they throw them under the bus? There are lots of things I'm listening for, but in the context of a "let your guard down" conversation, where we're just talking here, and as long as it takes for me to get to see who you really are, that's how long the interview is going to last.
0: Mm. Well, I love that. As you were saying that, Chris, it was making me think. Back to when I managed part-time staff and was hiring part-time staff earlier in my career, what you were saying about mm-hmm. values, I, I figured this out not as quickly as you did. But thinking about you know sometimes with part-time staff, you know the resume, the experience isn't as important. It's about the value set. And what I happened to run an education center earlier in my career, and one of the things I figured out is it was really great for us to go talk to local youth groups at churches and Mm. to talk to teenagers who were at the age that we were generally pulling from a demographic. But the kinds of folks that came out of church youth groups ended up being some of our best employees. They didn't know anything about education per se, but we could train them how to do that. But the value set was there that tended to match up really well with what we were looking for. And so it's kind of like that... You know for whatever your industry is, it's kind of getting out of that mindset of just looking at a resume or looking at what's on LinkedIn, but um, really looking for maybe how do the values line up on those things?
1: Sure. And part of part of that idea of connecting to values means that you have to do the heavy lifting before you start interviewing people. Um, you've got to know exactly you know what is it that a barista looks like, acts like, and does at my store. And this is especially important if you're going to open a store. I see a lot of people, like I go to conferences and I teach uh, a class at Coffee Fest uh, from time to time on hiring and, and culture. And the, the idea is we like to focus on our equipment. We like to focus on our location and getting you know, like good business cards and cool hats, things like that, because it's easy. And subconsciously, I think we tend to avoid the idea of really drilling down to find out what it is that people will be doing in our cafe. And who it is that is the perfect person. What's that, you know, the avatar of the perfect barista? And down to their essence, who are they in their values? What are we all about? And how can we match people up? When it comes down to it, all of this is pretty simple. It's all about relationships. And relationships are not as easy as, you know, managing stuff.
0: Yeah, indeed. Well, speaking about relationships, uh, one of the real challenges with managing part-time staff, and I I certainly ran into this a lot when I managed part-time staff, was scheduling. (laughs) Scheduling part-time staff is, uh, let's just say it's a nightmare for a lot of managers and business owners. And one of the things I'm really fascinated by is you have written to me that you see it as an opportunity. And you said in an email exchange we had early on uh, that The schedule is the first place you show love and care for your people and for the customer. Tell me more about that.
1: Yeah, it sounds uh, very—it's very deep. (laughs) You know, like the schedule itself is this, like you said, is a a nightmare because administratively it's never static. Um, You can kind of get the perfect schedule, be proud of yourself for a day and then somebody has a conflict or some, <laughs> right. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's never any telling that it's going to last as long as you want it to. So you're always kind of having to bring it back to the ideal place and make compromises. But our view of it as a burden can tend to rob us of the joy of seeing it as a service to people. So the basics of care for instance, like my son, he needs to eat food. <laughs> and so that's the first thing, that's like one of the first things that you need to give to a person is, is food. When you're hired, you're giving them your availability, your, your boss, and you trust, at least at first you trust, that they're going to take what you've given them as your limitations, and they're going to honor that. So there's this trust placed in you And this is the first task of the manager in communication. It's not, you know, verbal communication necessarily. But when that schedule comes out and it reflects accurately the agreement between you and that employee, that reinforces the trust that the employee has that it's going to be fine. You know, I'm going to be home by this time at night because I'm not working that night. So that's the first area. It's not lavish. It's not... You know, it's not sexy to to think of a schedule as a way of showing a love, and you're not really even going to be thanked for it necessarily. But it's the undergirding structure that supports everything else you do. Uh, at least one of the things that supports everything else you do for your staff. You get the basics right, you get to move on from the basics. So Dan Ariely talks about goodwill a lot, and the idea of you know cashing or or investing into people this goodwill that they can trust you with things in the future if they can kind of go into their mind and think of you as that person who did so much for them in the past. Now, you'll know this is true because when you mess up a schedule, you d- you damage trust. You, you damage people's perception of you being able to handle that thing for them. And so they withdraw. And uh, yeah, so scheduling is the basic. Thing, the first thing that we communicate to people with and it can be done well and lead to other things or it can be done poorly and sort of prevent you from going any further
0: I, I still like the way you frame that because um, like what you what you said is if you do that well you've earned the right then to go further but if you're trying to have conversations about coaching and um, and how to Get people to be more effective in their work and and give feedback and all the things that we also should be doing as leaders. But you don't have the scheduling stuff down. It's it's that stuff almost just goes out the window if you don't have the basics down. So it's it's almost like handling that well, if I'm hearing you right, gives you the permission to have earned the right to then be able to do more as a leader and to be able to influence more and engage. Um, am, am I is that oversimplifying or is that uh, is that is that what you're zeroing in on?
1: Oh, no, that's that's perfect. And it it helps to accentuate that point with the idea that these are people's lives we're talking about. We're talking about people exchanging hundreds and hundreds of hours of their life for the benefit of your organization or your team. So if we don't approach the exchange of their time for money or or whatever, uh, in a sacred sense, so to speak, make it not to make this like super deep but it really is a, a big deal so we need to figure out how can we as managers be engaged in the schedule and not just check out because it's hard
0: You, in your podcast, Keys to the Shop... uh, By the way, uh, Keys to the Shop is a great show for those of you who are in the coffee industry uh, or food service industry. I'd encourage you to check it out. Uh, And Chris, you did probably the best job I've heard of anyone early on in the podcast of like just really having some amazing interviews with folks you work with and in the industry. And you had Ryan Soder on one of your early episodes. And you guys got me thinking about just culture and managing culture with part-time staff, and and I, I hadn't really thought about that before strategically. But one of the things I'm curious about is how do you think about culture and scheduling? So, for example, if the manager or the owner isn't present, um, and you know there's people who work shifts where they don't often see other people, how do you keep the culture consistent and make sure the experience for customers and clients is consistent throughout? The organization uh, when people don't see each other,
1: yeah, great question. And thanks for your kind words about the podcast. That conversation with ryan, yeah, that the workflow uh, episode is the I think the first episode of the sh- the show is applicable to just more than simply how people work behind the bar and with scheduling. and in particular, I think with culture, it's it's important for us to view our uh, time in the store as a thing, you know, it has borders, it has timeframes there, and we have a certain amount of energy and time that we can invest into seeing that, that thing, that business that we have from the most helpful perspectives or different facets. You know, if you're a, a manager that works the morning and you never see your night people, there is no amount of detail in a manual that's going to create the same kind of culture for the night shift as present leadership will for the morning. So the the Mm -hmm. trick here is that there is no trick. It's simply a matter of making sure that you're choosing your shots. You're choosing your battles. Like where do you want culture to suffer the most? Because you can't be there all the time necessarily, um, but you can make sure that your lows are higher than everyone else's by choosing the right Uh, places for you as a leader or your delegated leadership to show up. So that means if there's a particular night shift that you need to be present for, or at least show up to choose that that gives you a good perspective on what's happening at night. That's the way you solve the problem. You don't have to be there every night, but you need to choose different times and places for you, for your authority to show up or trusted authority to show up. That's a big part of what we do at Synergos is uh, making sure that we have present leadership that's at least visible for uh, a good variety of times during the week, so that those different facets of the business can see values lived out, or or have a resource in a in a manager to ask questions to. Uh, does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does. And so, uh, on a real practical level, if you're the general manager of an operation or a manager of a team of a part-time staff, I mean, one of the things I think we should be thinking about is how do I um, how do I work my schedule and my time in such a way that I'm really intentional about, not just I'm showing up every 9 a.m. on Tuesday morning because that's convenient for me. And sometimes there's the reality of that has to happen. But how do I also think about my own schedule and the schedule of the leadership team in such a way that I'm making sure that we have a leadership presence with people who are there? And I, I hope people hear beyond just what you're saying. I mean, this isn't a... This isn't a like wanting to catch people doing the wrong thing thing. This is a how do we, how do we, how are we present so that we help shape the culture thing, right?
1: Yeah, you're, you're present because, and it shows care. You're not there to be what, you know, Bruce Tulgan is a author who wrote, It's Okay to Be the Boss. Another book that we as a management team go through, you don't want to be what he calls a bad news manager. So people see you, but it's only when you're delivering bad news to them. And and that's natural for us as managers to want to do because we see details where we're just like, man, that could be better. I I wonder why they're not following the policy on this right now. I know it was a busy shift, but we need to do the dishes this way because that's what the document says. Part of being able to facilitate a positive presence of leadership is being aware of how we come across to people, first of all, and giving ourselves enough time to spread ourselves out. So if you make your own schedule, this is something that you can do, okay? So I understand there are people that can't make their own schedule. And I would say maybe try as hard as you can to get more time to be flexible. With, with the managers that I manage, we have a minimum or a maximum uh, 20 hours on bar during the week uh, at the shops. And sometimes it goes higher when people are sick. But the reason why they're not working 40 hours is because they have the opportunity, A, to do their administrative work, but B, free up that psychic energy <laughs> to distribute to the staff throughout the week so they can choose. I'm going to show up to talk to you know, John about his, uh, you know sometimes at the cash register, John tends to look angry. So I have to talk to him about that. But you know, geez, I have all this stuff to do. I don't have any time to do it. So what happens? You just forget about it. Yeah. And and so you have to give yourself time to be there and figure out a way to be present. Or you can't expect to have a consistent culture through the storm.
0: But part of the other thing I'm hearing too is don't just show up when something's wrong. Um, I think most of us have interacted or even been part of organizations where all of a sudden a manager shows up and it's, it's, they're not normally there. And it's clear that they're there because something's not working right. And so to be real intentional about doing what you're saying, showing up on a regular basis so that uh, you're part of how you shape the culture and positive energy and supporting people and coaching people and all the things we talk about on the show. So speaking of intentionality, one of the realities that you deal with, and a lot of folks who manage part-time staff have, is that people generally are not hiring into a role in a part-time, you know, like your industry, as an end game for their career. It's often a stepping stone to something else or it's a part-time job while they're going to school or or doing something else in their lives or their careers. How do you engage people to get motivated about the work, knowing that there is that reality of, you know, maybe this is just they're here for a season for a year or two, or maybe they're just here for 10 hours a week. How do you, uh, how do you guys navigate that?
1: Yeah. So most people in coffee are gonna, or in service industry in general, is a transient industry. So people do the job while they're in college. Um, So many people that I've interviewed for my podcast have said they got their start in coffee when they were in college and they needed a job. Now, these are people who are still in coffee, mind you. But, you know, we who are still in coffee a decade or so later are the weird ones. You know? uh, (laughs) (laughs) Most people have gone on to do something else, you know? Uh, They've become a landscape architect or something. Right? And that's what they went to school for. And motivating people, first of all, if you're hiring people that match up with your values, you're already gonna be hiring people that are motivated to do those things. So that's great. So in, in a sense, motivation is, is it's more like inspiration, like how do we get people to be inspired at work? Because if they're not matching the values, I don't know if there's any kind of motivation that you can do, at least not long term, that's gonna result in a positive change. So one of the things that we can do is show people that we value what they value. Okay. So that means being interested genuinely in them as a person, not just what they can do for you. So if they're going to college and they get a good grade on their test, you've got to be there celebrating their wins with them. You've got to be there sending them a card when they have their first child or attending their wedding or something like that. Like These are relationships with real people in a real world. And when people feel that they are valued for who they truly are, they're more likely to give 110% at work because they're not just working for the checklist, they're working for you. Mm -hmm. And if they value you and your investment into them, it starts with you, then it's more likely that when you tell them to do something, they're going to do it and it won't be a problem.
0: Like all those studies we see about the value of w- whether it's engagement or any other measurement of the value of the manager, and it's l- way less important for a lot of people in the long run than the industry they're in or the company they're working for. It's the manager they work for and how intentional that manager is about doing things. You just said,
1: yeah, absolutely. And and you know, if you're consistent as a, a leadership team, you know, owners, managers, operations managers, whoever you have in your organization. If you're consistently displaying the fact that you're working for a higher value set, or there's some big picture that you're working for, so we don't just sweep the floor to sweep the floor. We sweep the floor because we want people to walk into a place and not be distracted so that they can view what we're serving them and have a great experience. Uh, Relating things that are the minutia of the business back to the big picture, it helps your staff see you do it so they Are going to more easily figure out, I can do that for how this job relates to my future career. So, how this relates to landscape architecture right now, as I'm cleaning toilets, (laughs) you know, we could speculate, attention to detail, you know, dirty, and maybe you get used to it and it makes you a better professional in the future. But we have to be examples first and live it out as leaders, and then people will follow that.
0: So Chris, I was telling you that we have an Academy member who's uh, the CEO of a uh, chain of cafes, and one of the realities she's dealing with constantly is turnover. And this is, of course, a big issue with part-time employees in almost every industry, especially the service industry. And you say that hospitality should be shown to guests of your cafe... But what about the guests who also work for you, your employees? And so it's, it's interesting to me that you use the term guest to think about also your employees and showing them hospitality. I was wondering if you could tell me more about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, we are given a certain amount of time with people that we work with. And when people work behind the bar with you and like get, do that service battle with you, every little thing behind that bar becomes important. Okay, so when I treat people as a privilege to manage. I'm only gonna get to influence them for a short period of time. They're only going to be with me and I get to the benefit of their influence on me for a short period of time. There's a there's a way to think about it too. It's not just, oh, I'm the leader, I have to, you know, influence and, and do all these things. Gotta be open to people contributing to your growth too. I, I've benefited greatly from people that I've you know been a manager over in the past. So we make sure the details are set in place to show uh, hospitality to our guests in the store. When we think about the temporal nature of part-time work in the service industry, the fact that you can't really count on it for a living wage for most of your life, most people are gonna do something higher paying later on. We've gotta really make people feel that they can dig into this and feel comfortable. Not, I'm not saying be lazy, I'm not saying You know, let's all just hang out because you still got to do work, but you can create a culture where people feel welcomed and included in what's happening in the store. And too often we create this customer service model where we care for the customer, but at the expense of our staff. And they're our guests in this organization. Those of us who are going to stay here for years and years, we welcome them in, we onboard them. We care for their stay. We, we make sure that you know, they're taken care of. They're paid as well as we can pay them. The details of their um, bar are taken care of. We're not forcing them to work with the things that don't work. We're providing the tools they need for success, and we're uh, giving them the attention that they need. I would never have somebody in my house and then treat them less than a stellar just because I know they're leaving. Of course they're leaving. They don't live here. <laughs> so... Mm. And that's not to say that we should just have this fatalistic approach to, to people like, they're, yeah, they're going to leave, so we might as well not even try to retain our staff. No, you, you definitely should try to retain staff. But don't check out of investing all you can into them because they're not working as much as somebody else in, in terms of hours or, or career.
0: That's why I love the analogy of thinking about the part-time employees as guests, like you said, you have someone show up at your house just because they're leaving doesn't mean that you don't treat them with exquisite care and compassion during the time that they're with you. And that analogy of really to any employee in your organization, but especially for a part-time employee, uh, what a great way to think about it! I've I would have never thought about it that way.
1: I love the my one of my last guests on the show. Her name is uh, Eva Tia. She does operations. Uh, for the retail stores at Portland Roasting Coffee in Portland, Oregon. But she worked her way up for 16 years from store manager to director of operation or retail operations at Pete's Coffee and Tea. So she, she really went up the, the ladder. And from all of her experience, one of the things she said that I thought was really great about that, that relates to this is if you love your position, if you love your position as manager or leader less than you love your staff, then everything will just fall into place. And I, I think that really speaks well of how we approach people in our organizations.
0: It's awesome. So Chris, I want to ask you one more question. But before I do, uh, you know, we have a lot of uh, listeners who are in the service industry and we've got folks who are in coffee who listen to the show. Uh, for those who do, I was wondering if you could say a bit about your, your show, what you're trying to do, and who's a good person to be checking it out?
1: Oh, yeah. The show, Keys to the Shop, uh, started in January right at the... You know, start of 2017, and we are basically dedicated to career development for people who work in retail coffee. I know that there are a lot of people who could get something from the show outside of that particular framework, but that's the framework I operate from. So I want to provide tools and just inspiration and insights that will help people make good decisions for their career. And if that meets them in a place where they're having a hard time at their store and and we can help them over that hard time, great. If it helps clarify uh, why they're in the industry, uh, then great. You know, we're all about providing resources and interesting voices, too, that are coming from different places that affect the retail coffee experience. So, you know, I mentioned operations manager uh, in this last episode. Uh, World barista champion uh, Pete Licata was on one of our shows talking about mentorship as a means of, of training and coaching people in the industry. There's a wide variety of things that I, I think will help uh, anyone doing coffee professionally.
0: I've been really impressed with what you've done. And obviously, in my work, I come across a lot of folks who are starting podcasts. And when I checked out your show uh, and started listening, I was just blown away at how great some of the conversation was coming out of the gate. Uh, When you and Ryan were on talking about workflows in a coffee shop... I was mesmerized for like forty-five minutes listening to that, and it actually got me thinking a lot about my own workflows. Even though I don't work in coffee, it's just fascinating stuff you're doing. So if you're if you're in the service industry, coffee specifically, I definitely would encourage you to check out uh, Chris's show. I think it'll be really powerful for you. And um, and Chris, one other thing I'm curious about: uh, what do you know today about leading part-time staff that you wish you would have known five years ago, or maybe you weren't even aware of five years ago?
1: All right, you know. I think the number one thing is that I wish i would have I wish I would have had the perspective of how my position is a privilege in an opportunity, no matter how long it lasts. you know with part time staff, I get the ability to speak into another person's life and to affect the future of. Whoever they lead in the future, you know, that perspective is becoming a little bit more clear year by year. But from that, I think stems every good thing in leadership and management. If I have the perspective of this is a great honor, this is an opportunity, not a drudgery, then it crystallizes my values and it allows me to act from a a position of integrity, and make better decisions on behalf of those who I'm tasked with leading. So that's, that's one thing I would say amongst maybe like 100.
0: <laughs> Chris DeFirio is Cafe Operations Manager for Centergoss Coffee in Louisville, Kentucky, and the host of Keys to the Shop. Chris, I hope that our listeners out in Kentucky, if they're in the Louisville area, will come by and see you and say hello if they uh, stop by you. How many locations you guys got?
1: We have uh, three stores in the Louisville area.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, if you're in Louisville, uh, stop by, say hi to Chris and his team. And Chris, thank you so much for your time. I'm really grateful for it. I've, I've learned a lot today. It's gotten me thinking a lot about how to help our clients who are uh, managing part-time staff. And I'm, uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what comes out of this for folks uh, listening to this conversation.
1: Absolutely. Thanks again so much for having me. It's fun.
0: Thank you again, Chris. And if you happen to be in the Louisville area or passing through, go and uh, visit Centergoss, say hi to Chris. And in addition, if you're in the coffee industry, definitely check out the Keys to the Shop podcast, or maybe you're running a restaurant or a cafe. I think it will be a great compliment to what you're learning here on Coaching for Leaders. Chris is really doing a great job over there with providing a lot of detailed information for folks in the industry. So check that out for sure. And if you are listening for maybe the first time or one of the first times to this show, you know already, hopefully, that I, my aim is to have you take one thing away from each conversation on the show that you can put in a practical action. I hope you'll do that today uh, with maybe someone that you're managing as a part-time staff member, or as I mentioned in the intro, maybe it's you're managing the person who's managing part-time staff. What did you learn here today that you can utilize almost immediately? That's the coaching action to take. And to implement. And in addition, I would challenge you to activate your free membership on the Coaching for Leaders website. That's going to give you access to the full content of the Coaching for Leaders library organized by topic over the last almost six years of conversations. It's also going to give you access to all the member casts, my personal library of all the articles I track down in the weekly leadership guides, and you'll get instant access to my 10 day audio course titled 10 Ways to Empower the People You Lead. In those first 10 days, I'll deliver a lesson to your inbox each day that will help you to get the most immediate practical action to become a better leader. And you can get access to all of that at coachingforleaders.com. That starts the free audio course and also access to all of the free uh, membership benefits on the portal there. And in addition to that, while you're online, I hope you'll check out some of the related episodes to today's conversation. Back on episode number 158, I had on Chip Espinoza talking about how to lead the millennials. Now, of course, as we talked about, not everyone who's working part-time is a millennial, but there is a greater population of millennials in the part-time work workforce, of course, and that's a fabulous compliment to today's conversation. If you're wondering how do you approach uh, working with folks from a different generation, if you've heard the things that we've many of us have heard of, oh, it's very difficult to manage millennials, uh, well, we've had those generational challenges throughout human history, really. And so there are some things actually you can do that are really practical that will help you to connect better with the millennial population. Episode 158 is a great place to start on that. Also, you may want to check out episode 251, What to Do When Somebody Quits. Molly Mosley and I talked about how do you handle that conversation when someone brings you their notice. And of course, when you're managing part-time people, that happens more because turnover tends to be more prevalent in part-time employee bases. And so episode 251 is a good starting point for you as well. And then finally, episode 257, How to Manage Former Peers. My friend Tom Henschel and I got on together, talked about the process for how to navigate that. And that is something that uh, many part-time employees uh, navigate, either for themselves or with someone they're working with. And uh, often you may uh, give someone as a part-time employee additional responsibility, or they may transition to a full-time employee. That can be a very helpful framework, uh, not only for you, but for them on how to navigate that well. Again, that's episode 257. You can access any of the episodes directly just by going to Coaching for Leaders, dot com slash the episode number and next week i am thrilled to welcome back to the show sharon bar david she is the author of trust your canary she was on the show previously talking about workplace incivility it was a very popular episode Her lots of comments and she's going to be coming back to the show next week to teach us how to manage abrasive leaders that's right We've talked about on the show before how to deal with a boss who's a jerk, (laughs) but we've never really talked about what do you do when you're managing the person who is abrasive to other people? How do you intervene? We're going to talk about that in depth next week. So check that out. Also, a big thank you to Julie for the kind review on iTunes. Julie said the show is like sitting down with an old friend. Julie, I really appreciate that comment. Thank you so much. To leave a rating and review on iTunes, if you've been listening for a bit, I am so appreciative. If you take a moment to do that, go to coachingforleaders.com slash iTunes. Have a great week. And we'll talk next week about how to manage abrasive leaders. Take care.